Hello, and welcome to this next episode, which is a strange one, <laughs> in that any of them are strange. Um, seen a robin over there, that's quite nice. Um, walking out the house, and uh, without Ziggy, so and, and not going to the shop. Oh, sorry. I'm not going to the shop. In fact, this walk is purely to record this podcast, uh, because now I'm feeling there's more of a need for it. So there's always a bit of a need in terms of me just rambling on and letting out what's in my head. Um, so the core topic of this particular episode, and it may well be for the next one or two, depending on how things go, is... Wait for it. As a very loud car goes past, I'm going to be walking along this bit of main road for about 30 seconds. Then it will veer away and I'll be less busy. Um, the topic being self-transcendence, which sounds rather grand, doesn't it? Self-transcendence, transcendence of the self. And you may be asking, well, what do you mean by self-transcendence? Precisely, that's a very good question. A question I'm fully prepared to answer. Let me first say this. Um, diplomatically, I'm not sure if we can answer this completely. We've got some different ways of defining it or different ways of conceptualising it. And in many ways, that is the challenge facing us. Um, and the royal us, the royal we, the us being myself and my friend and colleague and co-writer of a paper on the topic of self-transcendence. And the reason I need to talk about it now is I've got to start sorting these thoughts out in my head. And it also relates to... <laughs> The way in which I work, and I'm trying to adopt ways of working as well, to help manage, let's use the word, anxiety, uh, and also attempting to trust the process. Now that's going to be the title of another episode. I don't, I don't think I've done one yet with that title. It's going to be, um, it's going to have a title of that nature. I may have to stop and talk to somebody at the moment because I'm walking past some neighbours. Uh, but hopefully they'll realise or assume I'm on the phone and should be fine. Hey there. Yeah, yeah, on this occasion, no dog this time. Um, so, so, yeah, he's made the point by saying you're short of a dog. Absolutely, this is an unusual one. To be walking around here and not have the dog is very surprising. Because My intention was to walk up around the kind of roads um, and... Therefore, if Ziggy had been with me, he'd been on the lead, and I just didn't want to do that. So, yeah, it's kind of strange that I'm walking down the bit where I'd nearly always be walking with Ziggy. The only reason I would walk down here would be Ziggy. Although the very first time I did it, before we even moved to this house, was without Ziggy. It was pre-Ziggy. Um, and there is even an episode where I talk about that. I think I'm zigzagging from sniff to sniff, and it's, I think it'll be even that episode. And it's just prior to us getting Ziggy and just prior to moving into the house where we I then discovered all these pathways and the golf courses and so on behind there and you could do these lovely walks which subsequently we have been doing regularly um, so self-transcendence is the topic of this paper and yes something about the way in which I'm I'm working it's about trusting the process because I, I've not been able to get to working on this paper 
much, hardly at all, prior to now. Um, and Piers has been, he's over the last few months, has been working bit by bit, maybe the last couple of months maybe, bit by bit on the paper, pulling it together. Um, and the only bit I'd really helped with early on, in terms of submitting the abstract, was to pull together the abstract, or at least edit the abstract, in such a way that it was workable. And a title. So the title we're working to is Clearing the Pathways to Self-Transcendence. Because in essence, we're exploring, you know, what, well, what, what is it? What have different authors said about this concept of self-transcendence? You know, what its characteristics would be? What do we mean by that? And perhaps importantly, how might we achieve it? on the assumption that it is an, uh, an achievable and desirable um, place to be, desirable way of being. Um, so that's the general context, that's the general context. The specific context is because it is for a paper that we are submitting for a special issue of a journal. So that's why we submitted an abstract. There was a date here in, let's say, September, by which we had to submit the abstract to say this is the paper we'd be writing which they accepted in principle and it's for a special issue um, of one of the frontiers journals now there's frontiers in pretty much any subject matter or topic you could care to think of so this is frontiers in psychology um, and they have, I think, even within those, there's several different journals that sit within the frontiers. There, they're all, I think, kind of open access journals. Or anyway, they have a special issue focused on. Uh, now I need to remember what the specific title or working title of the special issue is. And off the top of my head, I can't remember. But keywords in there were self transcendence. I think maybe the phrase existential positive psychology. Um, which is the area that Piers is quite involved with at the moment. I think I may have alluded to the fact that he is writing and co-writing a book um, on the on the topic of existential positive psychology. So some of this writing about and thinking about self-transcendence will, I would hope, imagine appear in there somehow, or will form the basis of some work in there. Um, and that's something he's working to a deadline, I think, in maybe May of next year, of 2021. Whereas the deadline for this particular paper is, and today is the 29th of December, the deadline is the 31st of December. That's New Year's Eve. That's two days' time. So I've put myself in this position again of having, you know, a... a a small amount of time, a short amount of time between getting to doing the piece of work and the deadline. Um, and I'm realising now, with this very short space of time left, it's you know, a lot to be done in a short space of time. Now, it's not writing the whole paper, not a cut done at all. Um, the important thing is, Piers has effectively written the paper, uh, but it does need work, it needs tidying up, it needs detail in there, needs some rejigging. Importantly, we then discovered only a couple of weeks ago, I would kept asking, well, what, what, what word length are we working to? You know, what's, what's the word limit? We used to have a, a, a particular journal will say, well, here's the maximum length you can have for this particular type of article. 
Now we had, um, we were kind of probably assuming it was going to be five or six thousand, maybe seven thousand words, something like that. That's usually typical for a journal article. Um, and then as it turned out, we had choices. Either if it's a review paper, which is what it broadly is, which it is, um, then it could be a systematic review for which we'd have up to 12,000 words. Uh, but systematic review would suggest that you are reviewing in detail a large body of literature, particularly a large body of, of research, and are organising it into a way that, um, in a systematic way, and, and you know, usually with some detailed analysis and so on. And we're not doing that, basically. That wasn't, clearly it wasn't going to be a, a systematic review. What they did have was an option they called a mini review, which would do a similar thing, but you know would be much more in summary um, and sort of set the tone for something. We thought that that fits what we're doing. The only issue there is that the word length, the word limit, is three thousand words, which is a lot less than twelve thousand. Which isn't less of an issue. We weren't anywhere near twelve thousand words, but as it stands. The paper as written, and as I say, does need more in it and stuff obviously taken out of it because it's around about five, just over 5,000 words. I think about 5,500 words when it came from peers. Um, and so the challenge really is to be editing it down from 5,000 and a bit words to 3,000 words, which again I would say is all doable well, broadly doable of actually now realising and reading it in a bit more detail the last few days, that uh, it's quite a challenge. There's still quite a lot to be worked through. Although that it comes down to, well, what, what, what in essence are each of the authors talking about and how can we summarise them? And hopefully, as the title suggests, clear the pathways to self-transcendence. Um, Sorry, I'm just poking past. I'm just poking past. It's the end of the golf course and there's a couple of uh, guys just have just teed off. And the guy was just saying, oh, I should wait around here and see all these women with dogs. Have you noticed how many profiles women post profiles with dogs? And I'm guessing he's talking about dating sites. I'm guessing, maybe. Anywho, um, distraction yet again. So the challenge is to not be distracted any more than I need to be so that in the next day or so we have a paper that's submittable and that at the very least needs to be reduced down to 3,000 words. And that really is what my task is at this moment in time. Is to see if I can edit the paper from five and a bit thousand words down to 3,000 words. Um, So that's what I'm trying to do. Um, so I wanted you to come out and just do a bit of a talk it through in my head. Um, and the way I do that would be as though for a podcast. Now, I'm guessing I'll probably post this one. What the heck? Um, because I, I'm partly curious to see in the next couple of days how it pans out in terms of will I be recording one tomorrow or the day after saying, did it? It's 97 to 3,000 words and it's submitted. Will there be a little bit between now and then in terms of me going, oh my goodness, what am I trying to do? 
Uh, and that's part of it and also just to talk through what some of the issues might be so what it comes down to and this is now reliant on peers having done really the literature searching and organizing and and the reading to to kind of do the basics which are saying you know which i say the bait or the foundations which um part of the argument has been that in trying, I think we went back to actually, let me step back to this. So the whole idea of this special issue came out in the summer and a number of us would have received this invitation to be considered for it and submit something for it with deadlines in September for an abstract and then end of December for the paper itself. And it was about exploring these ideas of existential positive psychology. I think somewhere in there may be a new science or new exploration of self-transcendence. And particularly in um, particularly in the context, thank you. Particularly in the context of COVID, so the idea being that um, these are kind of special issues that they are putting together to see how you know, psychology generally, in this case, positive psychology, and specifically an area of positive psychology being referred to as existential positive psychology can help us in the context of COVID. Um, so that came out and we thought, well, that's just, you know, kind of interesting. We could probably put some together on that. And we did. And, and you know, Pierce just okay, let me think about it, what, what we could do, which effectively became, can it be a paper then that does kind of sort out the kind of different ways in which authors seem to be talking about concepts such as self-transcendence? Um, because not to say it's a bit of a mess, but it was seemingly that some different key authors were perhaps using the term a little bit differently, or what they meant by it was something a little bit different from what someone else meant, and you know, to try and organise that in such a way where it can make sense. Hence the phrase then, clearing the pathways to self-transcendence, trying to organise that, and in the hope we can achieve it in 3,000 words, I think it'd be then a very readable paper that could even come at the beginning or early on in this kind of special issue to say, well, they're no, no doubt going to encounter some more complex discussions of this topic. In my head, I imagine anyway, a lot of, you know, lot, some of the research in this and theorising tends to be not too easy to follow and decipher and so on. And the argument from our end is, well, by taking this notion of it being quite, let's say the word esoteric, or, you know, only certain types of people or certain ways of being would give you an opportunity to achieve self-transcendence. You know, is that a little bit kind of, uh, I'm use the word, exclusive, excluding? Whereas, you know, how can we make it more accessible? I think the word we might have used somewhere, democratised might be a word we use, so that more people can understand what it might be, what it might feel like how one might live in a way that um, encourages it, allows it. Not sure, quite, quite sure. So anyway, so that's what it's come down to. So we kind of identified some key authors. Them being, and part of the initial challenge is just putting the order in which better deal with these. And bearing in mind, we're going to talk, we're going to talk about maybe six or seven authors and about 3,000 words. If we're going to deal with each of them independently or consecutively, which we have started to do, by sort of looking at these ideas build, um, that's only around about 500 words maximum per, per theorist, per approach. 
Um, so that's why more editing is needed and why I think this will be the first podcast in which I just talk about some of this process, really, the process from going to, um, you know, starting with these ideas and how it works out to a paper and whether it ends up being published, we get to find out. Um, I would hope that maybe in a subsequent episode, possibly in the next one, if I can talk him into it, is that will be a conversation with peers about the paper. So in some ways building upon what I'm highlighting here. So there may well be a couple more of these episodes which are touching upon the discussion of self-transcendence and particularly this process of writing this particular paper. Um, so just to sort of highlight really where I'm at the moment is uh, I've been through it. Um, I do think chunks of it are editable down. So I think it's possible that we could get it now near to 3,000 words. That's my belief at this stage. Because I think there's just ways in which you can take what's being said in... I mean, for example, in the very first... Um, I first sat down with this a couple of weeks ago and just said, OK, just now I'm starting to work through it. Uh, the, first, um, the first paragraph was around about 300, 350 words and I got down to about 100, 130. Very quite easily. So basically saying the same thing, but t- more tightly, more concisely more succinctly so that's the intention with all of this so some of it is deciding well what precisely now i'll say this a thousand words on this approach what is the essence what is the core message can we get that across as, as succinctly as possible just so that we're kind of putting out there because even if the paper doesn't get accepted for this journal which would be a shame if it doesn't um but it's then a very useful document for anybody saying okay can i just get for example students that's what we have in mind. Imagine sort of students, our master students, and I think because self-transcendence is um, coming back into kind of some discussion in the literature. So let me just let me just highlight then some of the main topics, some of the main theorists, and we start with Viktor Frankl. So Frankl would be known for his approach known as logotherapy, so meaning-based therapy. Frankl's experience included, importantly. Um, and some of his earlier writings on this come just after he's had his experiences in the labour camps of World War II. Um, so treated in ways when saw other people treated in ways and himself treated in ways which you know got him to kind of really question you know meaning and how one can find meaning and and uh, make sense of and survive and survive in a healthy way through the kinds of experiences people who would have been in um, prison of war camps so his experiences are describing that and he talks about ways in which finding meaning and even the hardest bit I found actually is, is editing that section down because he I don't think he actually talks about self-transcendence itself he just talks about some things which points to this idea of self-transcendence so we're not yet in a position where we can say, well, what exactly do we mean by it? How does he define it? It's just that he talks about ways in which connecting with something bigger would be part of what he's saying, something beyond us. Um, I think that's, you know, this idea of meaning, finding meaning in those kinds of things. Um, and, and, you know, especially in those times when you're dealing with quite you know, dramatic adversity. And that's why it's applicable and relevant for this particular issue because that's kind of partly what we're exploring in in the context of covid you know for some people in particular it's a great amount of adversity 
and globally, you know, something, to use the phrase that's been used a lot this year, use the word, unprecedented. Um, so lots of learning going on regarding it. So we start with Frankel because we think he's the earliest to talk about it. Although having said that, I think we go much earlier and realise there's William James back in the turn of the century, so over 100 years ago, who would be talking about some of these ideas. Again, maybe not using the term self-transcendence, but we'll talk about religious experiences uh, and the varieties of religious experiences, which is the name of his text, which um, would look at um, those kinds of experiences where people connect again with something bigger than themselves. And that's what we kind of mean in part by self-transcendence. You're transcending the sense of being what it is to be You're an alone individual. You're connecting with something bigger. So that seems to be part of it. Um, and then the other part of it is also this sense of one sense of self is, I'm going to say, loosened, dissolved somewhat. So in some of these experiences, people may say their own sense of self is lessened as they become more connected with their greater, greater, whatever, greater <laughs> context, more than just themselves. So we started with Frankel's work. Then um, it seems that uh, chronologically, we'd probably be taken to the work of Rollo May. So around the same time, but what's in the paper from Pierre so far is a very you know, paragraph or so. So that may actually need a bit fleshed out, really, what his contribution is. Again, he may be the first person to use the term. Not, not so sure about that yet. Um, then that bridges up until Abraham Maslow. So he's a key writer on these topics, particularly given that he, um, well, first of all, he's often regarded as being the kind of um, the precursor of positive psychology, which has now sort of taken shape over the last 20 or so years. But prior to that, we had the work of a number of people, including Abraham Maslow. And I think it was Maslow that actually first coined the term positive psychology. There's a need for a more positive psychology, understanding the psychology of the best in people or you know, human potential. And is often regarded as being a pioneer in humanistic psychology. Um, and bearing in mind some of his work, again, dates in the middle of the 20th century, up towards maybe the late 1960s. And interestingly, he died in June 1970, about a week or so before I was born. Um, so he was then still writing up until that point, and I think he had possibly a heart attack, but it was a sudden death about age 62. So, and he was still had ideas he wanted to express. You know, he was very kind of motivated to, to explore ideas he'd been touching upon for a number of years including, and I guess most notably so, so two, two topics here of relevance to self-transcendence would be self-actualization, which is something that sits within um, Maslow's theory. This idea we, I'm using the word, might reach or achieve self-actualization, or that could be, it's often, it's often described in his hierarchy of needs, which is the kind of context which Maslow's work is usually introduced in a psychology degree. 
I don't think we did it in ours actually back in the day, but um, I think, you know, discovering at most textbooks we'll talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that, that we have various needs as human beings, as human organisms, um, and some are more foundational, more basic than others. So we start with things like food, warmth, shelter. They're kind of real um, foundational needs. Uh, this is when we start questioning how much I remember of this. Then we go to things like belonging. So being within, you know, we talk about humans being social animals. That again, how that works, how we feel that we belong to part of a community. And we could argue in the context of COVID and therefore needing to isolate, self-isolate. Um, if we didn't have technology that allows us to have at the very least phone calls, but more and more these days it's Zoom calls, Skype, less so, uh, FaceTime, these kinds of things, and using other social media. These are all ways in which we can feel we still belong, even if we're not with people uh, in person. Then above that, I think maybe it's esteem, self-esteem. Does that come in there? Oh, let's check on this one. And then we we'll we'll go up to the very sort of higher parts, where it's so-called the higher elements of this hierarchy would be things like self-actualization. That if you meet all these more, you know, needs as in that help you survive and be, you know, a more rounded human being, then eventually you kind of are in a position where you can, to use the phrase, self-actualise. Which I think, at least from a layperson's perspective, sounds like it's a, an end point at which maybe you get to a certain age and certain experiences and certain ways of being, you might self-actualise. And then you start thinking, well, what, what does that mean to self-actualise? Well, I think it comes back down to, which now are core ideas within positive psychology, if we're talking about this idea of how can we you know, not, not just be at our happiest, not just be perform at our best, but how can we be our best version of ourselves? How can we be that person, to often use a phrase, that we were born to be? So if we weren't held back by all our self-doubts or constrained by even some kinds of experiences or events, how can we still work towards that that's best in ourselves how can we actualize our self something like that how can it like we bring it into being and there's parallels there with the work of carl rogers who would talk about the actualizing tendency and his approach to therapy would say a lot of his approach to, to work would be what he called person-centered where if you can support the person and give them these foundational conditions the core conditions that allow people to thrive which are things like um, empathy unconditional positive regard and congruence as in being authentic yourself then you're more likely to support that person to be their best version of themselves uh, and work through any issues they may have and so on realize i'm kind of off on tangents here a little bit but it just helps me sort through things in my head so and also then in maslow's work alongside his hierarchy of needs and the idea of self-actualizing um he has work on um, peak experiences. Those experiences he calls peak experiences, P-E-A-K, P-E-A-K, which I would say more recently, and, and this is another sort of author or set of authors we may look at as part of the paper. Towards the end is a guy called David Yaden, who has also done work with colleagues on what they would there call self-transcendent experiences. And in fact, they would probably argue that term is more inclusive 
because it would include those experiences might call peak experiences which might also be like mystical type experiences so again that sense of unity sense of wonder uh sense of um well even the experience of falling in love love in general or these would all be types of self-transcendent experience where again i suppose you're connecting with something other than yourself um so those are ideas we're exploring it and just because I want to kind of bring this one to the end now because we're getting back near towards the house and just, just as a first foray into this topic, which I'll pick up, I think, in another episode. Uh, well, I, I believe I will. I'm intending to. I'm going to de- endeavour to. So we had a touch upon the work of Maslow there. So we've talked about Frankel, May and Maslow. Uh, we also have the work of Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, who's known as Mike to his friends. Csikszentmihalyi is... Um, often known as the flow guy. He's done lots of research for many, many years on um, what does it mean when people are in these, what they call flow experiences. When you are at one with what you're doing, you lose all sense of time and you know, your sense of self-conscious and self-awareness does seem to dissolve away. So there's something maybe self-transcendent about this, these types of experiences, but they're often seen in much, you know, not, not necessarily meditating for many many hours on top of a mountain top that's not to say you can't achieve it in that way but for some people it may well be playing a sport um, or a musical instrument or engaging some kind of artwork usually anything particularly creative um, he did lots of uh, interviews I believe with rock climbers and others and he really tried to sort of tease apart what is it about those kinds of activities that help engender the experience of being in flow where again you sort of feel at one with what you're doing um, and therefore it could be an element of, could be described as self-transcendent. I'm not sure if in his writings he particularly uses that term, but it's all very relevant. Um, Yaden and colleagues would include flow experiences as being self-transcendent in some way. So we'll look briefly at some of that work. Um, then we get to somebody called Pamela Reed. Now she's the one I'm less 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 know about so i'm quite curious because her chapter in a particular text that has been introducing i think one of her first writings on the topic was back in 1991 and then subsequently in the 2000s so she sort of developed it and or added to it it's been republished in later versions of the text Uh, but she works in kind of nursing uh, theory so she was really exploring this idea of how it applies i think in practice to nursing practice, how one helps maybe and supports people, particularly towards the end of life, and therefore facing issues of mortality, um, how the notion of self-transcendence is important there to maybe deal with that positively, healthily, whatever it might be. Uh, and that seems to be quite an influential piece of work because a lot more recent researchers and theorists have cited her work. So the work of Pamela Reed, And then we get up to Paul Wong. So Paul Wong... Um, is a Chinese psychologist based in Canada and again very influential and in fact he is one of the guest editors on this special issue so it had been through him really in part inviting a whole range of people to submit something Um, so he and he's written about self-transcendence he has his own model which is very much based around Frankel's work so in some ways highlighting and developing Frankel's um, approach which which you know, remember logotherapy, meaning therapy. Um, he's very much focusing on the meaning people find in life, in situations. Um, you know how they 
discover it, create it, whatever it might be. So again, the important role of meaning in his, in his model. He has a, a three-step model that we will give an overview of. Um, and I think it pretty much brings us up to date, apart from Yaden et al. But theirs is more looking at research based on self-transcendent experiences. So I'm not sure exactly how that will fit in there. That might not be a separate section in the end. And that's pretty much it, then a conclusion. And that needs to be dealt with in 3,000 words. Now, we've got the basics of that, but it's now about five and a bit thousand words. I'm looking at ways in which I can edit it down and get it tighter and still meaningful and accurate and so on over the next couple of days. <laughs> so it's not quite the same as Willie his marking done on time. It's hopefully much more meaningful activity. And, um, yeah, but still a, a real deadline to meet in terms of trying to get it done by the 31st of December. And as Piers has indicated very clearly, he just doesn't want to be working on the 31st of December. Our intention had been for us to get this done and completed before Christmas. And he had done his part very well and had shared it with me at the time. And I was sitting on it, not actively choosing not to do it, just had other things that I felt were more pressing, such as marking and other things. So that's where we're at. So self-transcendence. Um, that will be enough for this episode. A good half an hour introduction to it for anybody who wishes to listen through and it gets into the more, more meaty stuff. What does it mean to self-transcend? Um, and hopefully, by me talking it through, helps me with the writing of it as well. That's the intention. And bearing in mind the writing and indeed the editing. But editing includes writing as well. Okay, rambling now, quite literally. So, with that in mind... I shall say bye-bye and see you on the next one. Bye. Hopefully this side of 2021. I will have spoken more about this and we're getting clearer to actually getting a paper that's submittable. Here's hoping. Bye.